Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Um, it's really great to be with you all. Um, this music stand is very high. Tricky, did you use this? No, it's really great to be to be with you all this morning, um, and really great to have the opportunity to bring God's word to us all. And I must say, I'm very excited to share with you just how God has wrestled in my own heart this week as I prepared the message. Um, and yeah, really, really excited to to share with you. Um, what I've uncovered in this passage. Because when I first read this, I was like, I don't really know where to go with this. What do you teach people when it's all about like court proceedings? What is there to pull out of a passage when it's all about court proceedings? But um, with lots of prayer and chatting to, uh, chatting to Rain and some of the guys, uh, I'm very excited. That's what I can say. I'm very, very excited. What I'm not excited about is that a few weeks ago, I was in a bumper bashing, right? I wrote you a car accident. I was like, it's not a car accident. There's a difference between a bumper bashing and a car accident, right? But a few weeks ago, I was in a bumper bashing, and um, basically, you know those guys with the trolleys? Um, They collect all the stuff that they want to recycle. They go take it to like a scrapyard, and they get some money for the stuff they've collected. So we're driving in Midrand, and it was around the time where like our phones for like five days were like heavy rain tomorrow, and there was no rain ever. The sun was out. I was like, you guys, I I don't know who's paying these people, but anyway... But this particular afternoon, there were definitely clouds. We still didn't get rain, but there was heavy wind. And what happened was this poor dude was like pushing his trolley along. And you know the, um, the advertising boards that have been like cable tied to poles? Um, he had a bunch of those stacked up on his trolley. And this wind kind of came in and like just blew all his stuff across the road. And he started running frantically around the road. And Megs and I looked at this guy and I said, He looked so scared. I think he was waiting for people to like start hooting and like swearing at him and shouting. So he's like running frantically. So we kind of pulled off to the side into like a bit of a driveway, turned off the car, locked it because we're like, let's just help this guy quickly. And as I get out my car, I look to the right and there's this um, young couple. They also get out of their car and they're like running. They're like, let's just help him quickly. And while we're helping him pick up his stuff, the dude that got out of his car on the other side of the road, he like turns around and looks towards my car and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I turn around and as I turn around, I just see this Kia Picanto just like hit the back of my car. Something I pride myself in is I've never been in a bumper bashing. I've never been in a car accident. I've never caused anything like that. So that upset me. Um, and yeah, it's just been, I think the last, it's, it's two weeks that it's since it happened and majority of what I've been praying in that time has been, Lord, please will you help me to just get this sorted quickly. I think the Lord has kind of exposed a bit of an idol in my heart with perfection and materialism and that kind of thing. But my prayer has been, Lord, please will you help me get my car fixed as soon as possible. Lord, please will you just help me to have no issues with the insurance when I claim through them because I'm not going through my insurance because I want to have that claim-free history again. There's the pride. Um, So I'm going to try and go through this guy's insurance. But my prayer has been, Lord, please just help me to have a a smooth ride with this. Pun not intended there. 
Um, I want to have a smooth ride this, with this. Please can all of this be sorted as quickly as possible and can my car be fixed and restored to its mint condition as soon as possible. But as I share this story with us all today, I want to ask a question. I want us to look back over the last couple of months. What is it that has occupied the majority of your prayers and our thoughts as we've journeyed through the year 2022? What is it that we've been praying for? What is it that we've been asking God for? Just think back to recent times when things have been difficult. I mean, I know exams are coming up. It's the end of the year as well. So from a business or work point of view, it's hectic. Everyone's trying to get everything wrapped up before December so that we can put in our leave and go and get some much-deserved rest. And things are really difficult. Colleagues are difficult to work with. Things are going wrong. We're having bumper bashings, all those things. Um, What does our walk with God and what do our prayer lives look like when things get a bit sticky and things get a bit difficult? Just think about that for a second. What is it that we pray for when things get really difficult? So currently at Red Door, we're in the the series of Acts. It's volume four that we're busy with. And the, the, the title is just the beginning. And I thought it was really exciting looking at the book of Acts and thinking, man, we really are looking at what was just the beginning of this amazing movement called the church. And currently what we've just witnessed in the last couple of chapters is the Apostle Paul being arrested in Jerusalem and then he begins a series of scenes or there begins a series of scenes where Paul appears before various governors and people in power um, who question him as he continuously, is continuously accused by the Jews for various things. And last week Connor showed us how or what it means to take courage in tough situations and to trust in God in tough situations. And we see Paul stand firm in his faith in spite of the constant opposition that he's facing, in spite of the constant false accusations that are being hurled his way. And in today's passage, we once again are going to see Paul appear before two governors. But there's something really amazing that we see and learn from the apostle in these verses. And I really can't wait to, to show you guys what that is. It's like, it's like a little bit of like gold that, I'm just gonna, that I discovered this week. And I'm just showing you guys, like this is so cool. Um, so, but before we go any further, let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for how you worked in and through the Apostle Paul. Lord, we thank you for the church that as we look back and we see sort of how small and, and, and how, not insignificant, but just how small it was And yet how through the movement of your spirit and your people, you have slowly grown this into such an amazing movement around the world. And so, Father, we just pray that as we hear from your word this morning, Lord, may we be encouraged, may we be convicted. And Father, I pray that this morning these would be your words and not mine. That your spirit would speak through me. And that I, along with everyone here today, would be re-encouraged and re-reminded of what it is that we believe in and why we believe this. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen, Amen. All right, so as we jump into the passage today, we're going to be starting with chapter 24. Um, we're going to break what, we, what, what Achi read for us. We're going to break into three scenes, all right? And so the first scene is from um, chapter 24, verse 1 to 22. So it's quite a long scene. But in the opening verses, verses 1 to 9, I'm going to reread it for us. But what we see is the high priest Ananias and some of the elders went down to Caesarea and they bring a lawyer with them to Tertullus. So let's read this 
It says, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and, and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges we're bringing against him. The other Jews joined in in, in, uh, in accusation, asserting that these things were true. So this lawyer, Tertullus, he opens up the proceeding with a bunch of flattery. Like he starts off and he praises this guy, Felix. He gives him all the credit for where the nation is and he kind of goes on. It feels a bit like long-winded. Like he's sucking up to this guy. He's buttering him up. He's getting ready to lay these charges. But he kind of goes through this breathy period of just flattery. And as soon as he's done with the flattery, he begins to bring these accusations before Felix. These accusations against um, Paul to Felix. And it's quite interesting. He he seems quite... um, in his, in his accusations, he seems quite vague. And almost you can hear the, you can almost pick up like a deceitful tone in the way that he's carrying this across. But it's so interesting when we compare this lawyer's accusation to, to Paul's defense. We see the massive difference between Paul and this lawyer. And so have a look with me, verse, verse 10, firstly. It says, when the governor mentioned Motion, sorry, motion for him to speak. Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. Do you see the difference? So Paul's not disrespectful. He is respectful towards this governor, but there's no flattery. There's no flattery. He just, he just says, hey, I acknowledge you, I respect you, and so here's my defense. And it, it was customary within this culture that when you do appear before a governor that you do sort of come off as respectful but again when I read the lawyers um, opening lines I'm like that's not just respectful that's like we all had this person in our class right we all had this person in 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 school who's like you know you know ma'am I learned so much from your class I think you're the most awesome teacher I love all the pictures you have in your class but ma'am you marked this wrong and I want my marks um we had that person, and there's a massive difference between being respectful and just outright flattery and sucking up. And so it's quite interesting to see that Paul doesn't feel the need to use this tool of flattery, obviously because he's confident in his defense. And then in verse 11 to 13, Paul begins to state his defense. It reads as follows. Um, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. 
and they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. You see, Paul brings these facts. He's like, hey, I, was, I wasn't there for more than 12 days. And if anyone knows anything about riots, there's no way you start a riot within 12 days. It takes time to get a riot going because you've got to win people over to your side. You've got to convince them why this is wrong and this is right. And then eventually, probably after like a couple of months or years, there is a massive riot. And Paul's like, I've only been there for 12 days. I basically arrived and these guys arrested me. But the difference between the accused and the accuser is that the accuser makes a ton of false accusations. And even, we even pick up a bit of a, like a, an over-exaggeration. So in verse, um, verse 5, uh, Tertullus says, We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. And yet Paul comes in and he says, Hey, these are the facts. I've only been there for 12 days. These guys know I didn't stir up any nonsense. I didn't cause any trouble. I didn't do anything wrong. Paul is confident in his defense. But we see a massive difference between Paul who just presents the facts and the lawyer Tertullus who comes in with a bunch of emotion and over-exaggeration and ultimately false accusations. And then Paul does something really interesting. Have a look at verse 14 to 18 with me. He says, However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. Paul admits, yeah, I'm a part of the way. These guys call it a sect. I'm a part of this thing called the way. But not only am I a part of it, but this builds on what they believe. They too believe this. I just believe the full picture. I believe in the resurrection. But I'm not preaching or teaching anything different to what they believe. They're prophets. I'm, I'm innocent in this. But I do belong to the way he owns his faith he says yeah i do i do believe in this and sort of as he's going and building his defense he says because they say he desecrated the temple he says i was i was ceremonially cleaned i did what was required i didn't do anything wrong i did everything that they require and i believe what they believe and yet they have arrested me and then all of a sudden, Paul kind of U-turns in verse 19 and 20 because within Roman law, which was where he was being tried, was sort of the ruling law, um, the accusers should actually be the ones who confront the accused face to face. And so he slams on brakes um, and he sort of says, listen, the guys who are actually accusing me aren't here. And so I shouldn't be having to defend myself because... Technically, this shouldn't stand because my accusers are not here 
and I can't see them face to face. But he kind of wraps it up with this amazing bombshell in verse 21. He says the following. He says, Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Church, the thing that separates Christianity from all other religions and all other faiths and all other belief systems is the resurrection. And Paul has just said, hey, I believe what they believe concerning these things, but I believe in the complete picture, and that is the resurrection of the dead. I believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth rose again. I believe that. And maybe that's what the issue is here. Maybe that's why they have an issue with me. The thing that gives us hope as Christians in times of trials, in times of being oppressed for our faith, you know, we have those friends who tell us that what we believe in is stupid or what, it, what we believe in doesn't make sense or, or science, they show us how science actually contradicts what we believe or how it shows us that what we believe isn't true. Maybe it's in the workplace. We want, to, we want to operate within the workplace with Christian ethics and morals because we want to be a light in that space. And people continually push us towards living like the rest of the world. And when we tell them we're not willing to do something because of our faith, they belittle us. They tell us, man, that's all garbage. This is the job that has to be done. You see, it's in those times that we cling to the fact and the truth of the resurrection. The resurrection is the reason why we believe what we believe. The resurrection is the reason why we cling on to our faith when all seems out of control and it feels, note the word, it feels like God has abandoned us. The resurrection is what gives us that hope. But why does the resurrection give us that hope? Why is the resurrection considered the crux of the Christian faith? It's because of how impossible and how miraculous it was. And yet God did it. And we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that, Paul indicates, is what was actually offensive here. And it's at this point that Felix adjourns the proceedings uh, in verse 22 to 23. It says, Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under God, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. We're going to kind of skip for now scene two, right? So I said there's, kind of, there's three scenes that we're going to see here. Scene one and scene three are actually very similar. So two years later, Paul appears before a different governor, Festus. Um, the same false accusations are brought against him. Paul defends himself and he denies the false accusations, uh, false accusations, but again, he doesn't deny his faith. Paul doesn't deny what he believes in as he appears before this governor. And eventually it leads to Paul appearing before Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. And again, we're seeing the shrewdness of Paul. How Paul is shrewd in saying, man, I'm a Roman citizen and therefore I'm going to, I'm going to claim my right to go before Caesar. But sandwiched in between scene one and scene three is the second scene. And we see a very interesting break within the narrative of the story. It kind of jumps from court proceedings to his time in prison and then back to court proceedings. 
But we can't miss what Luke is showing us in these few verses. Have a look at verse 24 to 27 with me. It says, Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about his faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul talked about, um, about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Church, isn't it amazing to see the Apostle Paul, the guy who moved nations and planted churches all around the place, having a conversation with someone who's not interested in what he has to say? It's easy for us to sit here today and look at the Apostle Paul and just think, yes, man, if I was as clever as him or if I was as gifted as him, or if the Lord would just walk as closely with me as he did with Paul, I would definitely convert a lot more people. But you see, we forget it's, it's got nothing to do with what we can do, how, eloquent we, how eloquently, eloquently, there we go. You see, we speak. <laughs> it has nothing to do with how well we can argue for the Christian faith. It's got everything to do with God's spirit moving and the hardness of men's hearts. And that should be an encouragement to us. Like even the Apostle Paul had moments and had people that he encountered where people were choosing their sin over the truth of the gospel. It's amazing to see Paul's heart and his attitude to his oppression, to his time of imprisonment. If we look at his time of imprisonment, what does Paul do? Paul speaks the same truth that got him there in the first place. This governing official wants a bribe, but Paul will not give him that. Paul probably knew, I could just pay him and get out of here, but I will not do that. Rather, I will stay and I will be faithful and I will preach the gospel. And this goes on for two years. Can we think about how long that is? Lockdown was like just over, yeah, just over two years. And we thought that was long. Paul sat in prison and he remained faithful. He remained faithful and he, he held on to what he believed to be true. So what do we take from this? The first thing we take is Paul couldn't convince everyone. Sometimes people are so blinded by their sin and their love of their sin that no matter how faithful or how convincing we are, they may never want it. And that should be an encouragement for us to see that even the, the great Apostle Paul had the same kind of issues we have. But he remains faithful to preaching the gospel. He didn't offer the bribe when he could have. He didn't look for the easy way out of the situation. He remained faithful to the mission that God had called him to. Secondly, we see Paul's heart. That even in these most difficult circumstances of remaining in prison, Paul is incredible. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 4, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, and he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And this is the part that I want to I highlight. If I could control B in my Bible, I would do it to this verse. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door 
for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul is sitting in prison and around this time, it's about two years after the story we're currently in in Acts. This is about two years afterwards. Paul is in chains. And his, his prayer, when he writes to the church in Colossae, is not, hey guys, please will you pray that the Lord will make these chains fall off and that I may leave this terrible situation. Or hey, please pray that we may raise up the funds to pay the bribe that I need to get out of prison. Or please pray for words of wisdom that I may be shrewd enough to wangle my way out of the situation. No, no, no. Paul says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. As much as the letter to Colossians or to the the church in Colossae was written maybe two to three years after his time that we're reading about in Acts at the moment. I'm really sure that Paul's heart would have always remained the same. You see, in his time of trial, Paul doesn't write asking for, for um, prayers that are, are me-focused. He doesn't write seeking prayers that are, are centered around himself and his needs and his comfort, but they are, they are God and gospel-focused. Paul's prayers are God and gospel focused. It's got nothing to do with, hey, guys, please, please pray that I may have a more comfortable situation, that I'll be set free and I can go and sleep in my cozy bed again. Or please pray that they'll bring me better food while I'm in prison. No, no, no. Please pray that I may, may proclaim the gospel clearly. Please pray that I may have the opportunity, that the way may be open for me to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Paul's heart is fully for the gospel and the spread of the gospel. And again, I want to bring back and emphasize two years. Now, I'm not saying Paul didn't question or struggle. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he had moments of those two years of saying, Lord, where are you? Why am I not going anywhere? Time is being wasted. People need to hear the gospel. But he still remained faithful. And Paul was driven by his conviction and his assurance in the resurrection that Jesus Christ rose again, and therefore so will all those who put their trust in him. Paul remains faithful and gospel-focused because this gospel, this good news, this mission, everything we do and everything that we believe in is greater than I. It is greater than me. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than Paul. It's bigger than Reynard and Jason, and it's bigger than Red Door Church bigger than anything and anyone else and Paul knew this and that's why his prayers were not me focused but they were gospel focused so I come back to my story about my my dinged up car and how my prayers have been Lord please will you make this process smooth please may my car may my car be fixed soon might I add my car is still functioning properly I can drive it wherever I want So it's not like the damage is impeding the actual use of the vehicle. But my prayers still remain, Father, would you make a way for this to be easier so that my car can be fixed? And I've been so challenged in this this week as I look at Paul. And I think, man, my prayers around my car, I've missed it. My prayers around the situation with my car, as small as it might be, have been me-focused. 
They've been about how God can make my situation a little bit more comfortable and a little bit easier. Instead of saying, Lord, had this not happened, there are about five to six different people that I probably wouldn't have interacted with. But because this has happened, I have to deal with this family, which is three people. And I have to deal with the people on the other side of the insurance line. Father, would you make a way? Would you open the way that I may proclaim the mystery of Christ to whoever I speak to? So church, what are our prayers centered around? Specifically in difficult times. How are we praying in our difficult circumstances for God to make a way for us to proclaim the mystery of Christ? What is our response when life gets tough or when we have those difficult situations? Is our response to question God and to shake our fist at Him and say, where are you? Or is our response saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but this is pushing me into a space of discomfort and I don't know who I'm going to be called to interact with, but whoever I interact with, would you open the way that I may proclaim the mystery of Christ? You see, church, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that this whole thing that we believe in, our entire faith is greater than each and every one of us because Jesus rose again. And it's through Jesus that we will rise again and be, be declared righteous, not in our own strength or our own standing. So how will we choose to live? How will we choose to respond to these tough situations, these complicated situations? I look at Paul who sat in prison for two years for things that he didn't do. And he still said, man, Lord, would you open the way that I may proclaim the mystery of Christ to whoever I encounter. And so as I close, I want to encourage us as a church and as individuals to be gospel focused like Paul was. I want to encourage us that when things get difficult, when life gets difficult, that we would keep our prayers focused on the gospel and focused on him and not focused on me and my needs and my comfort. That we would always seek out the opportunity, no matter how difficult or tricky the situation, would we seek out the, the opportunity to share the mystery of Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for this mystery that is Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we can know you more intimately because of what you did through Jesus. Not just on the cross, but also the empty tomb. Father, we thank you that Jesus rose again. We thank you for the resurrection and that that is our assurance of what we believe in. And Father, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. Lord, would you help us to make our prayer lives and our hearts less me-focused and more gospel-focused, more focused on your kingdom and seeing people come to know you. And Lord, I pray specifically for this week ahead. Would you open the way that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ here in Pretoria. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.